Dude, we are back in business. We are live. Uh, so we are, well, I can't say live because this is a, this is a pre-recorded show, but uh, yeah. Anyway, what we were talking about are these charts that came, uh, came from 2005. So there's a value in going through old material. Uh, my predecessor, he'd been in the business since the 80s, and uh, he was something of a hoarder where you had these Morningstar manuals and um, just uh, business uh, uh, stuff. I don't know what you would call them. This, like is, why, this is why we material. need video because, I, you know, this is much easier to see. But essentially what I'm looking at are f- more or less flashcards that show economic data and rolling returns uh, for different asset classes and things like that. And this is... The, I guess what's what's surprising is this looks like it should be from 1980, but it's actually it's actually from 2004. Well, I don't think the listener needs to see a visual here. It's just to me the takeaway isn't the information and the charts and graphs because the markets have kind of you know while history doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. So the stuff you get on Y charts today isn't much different in terms of its content, but its delivery is what's startlingly different. Uh, so this is a stagnant printout with these cardboard-like uh, pages that are thick, and it's binded with this uh, leather binder and this very nice package, uh, you know, and, and it's all year-to-date uh, or quarter-to-date information. Whereas what we have today, and this is only, what are we talking about here? Seventeen years, seventeen years have elapsed, and now. You can go to Y charts or you name the, the charting mechanism that you, you use. There's a thousand out there, but you can get real time information instantaneously and you can get whatever you could replicate all the charts. And that, uh, what is that? Who made this? What is this here? It's the Institute uh, of Business and Finance, IBF. And you, you can replicate the same material in an afternoon. Uh, whereas it probably took these guys or gals uh, just you know months upon months uh, to put this stuff together, and this is 17 years of innovation. Well, so <clears throat> I, I, I suppose let's kind of get get to the topic. I, I, I guess the way to lead lead in here would be advancement in technology. I mean, I, what I'm trying to say is that I feel like the technology in the advisor space has maybe been. Uh, decade or two decades behind as, as we've moved forward in, 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 in time. So what do you think about what that means for today's technology and how advisors are using it? So you had in here on your list of things to talk about today is, is impact of, of AI or specifically language AI in, in, in the world, or are you trying to talk about financial mm-hmm. advice specifically or, or broad Broadly based. No, more broadly, um, I don't necessarily know if the technology behind the advice uh, behind what advisors use has been decades behind. For some firms, it is. Um, there are certain uh, firms that are cut from an old cloth. You know, they, they have a uh, process that has worked for years and years and years, and they're reluctant to change it. You know, they're more conservative. Uh, types of financial firms. I won't name any names, but uh, you'd probably know the ones I'm talking about. You know, they're very slow to adopt uh, financial technologies that that could uh, make their advisors more efficient, uh, or you know, enhance the overall experience of their clients. Um, by 
by and large, most firms, though, they kind of stay not on the cutting edge of innovation, but somewhat behind it, definitely not a decade behind it. Um, I think about the systems I used a decade ago, uh, and it's, it's hard to imagine going back to that world. And I think of how I got into the business, uh, which was in 2005, actually when this, uh, uh, w- when this uh, production was created from Institute of, Bu- uh, of Business and Finance. And I remember doing mutual fund orders on, a, uh, on carbon copy paper. I would literally write it down, you know, which was the confirmation, and that would go into the client file. And the copy, I would phone in the order, but the, the original copy I would have to mail in at the end of the day to the to some central location I don't know is some you know some place out in Cleveland Ohio that processed them but that was the way it was done and today I who does that nobody does and that was that was just 17 short years ago so now that's true probably for almost every industry I would think from you know down the road here at Ford the transmission plant how they put together transmissions, I bet is a lot different to how you order your sandwich at McDonald's, you know, how uh, this stuff has just come along and, and we lose sight of it. We lose because it's just, you show up one day to Kroger and all of a sudden you're scanning your own groceries and then you get used to that. And that's the new normal. And then you're like, there's been no innovation the past 10 years. It's just been the same. You just get, you get used to the, you get used to it and you forget um, how far things have innovated. Well, wh- what we're talking about today, as you mentioned, uh, is this what's been called artificial intelligence, which, by the way, I hate that name. Yes, it's artificial intelligence. I don't know. You know, we, let, let's define what intelligence is. Um, what these systems are, like we're, we're specifically talking about, you know, Google Bard, uh, Chat GPT, uh, these are large language models. Uh, they're highly advanced. Now, I'm not trying to belittle them and say that they're not marvels of technology, which they absolutely are. But to equate them to a conscious human being, I think, is a step too far. Um, you know, so, so to say that they're intelligent, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, they're, they're definitely um, very sophisticated uh, uh, computer programs uh, that are going to have major implications on our economy. Um, you know, I've, I've read several uh, points of view on this, and I'm curious what your point of view is. You know, some say that they're nothing more than a parlor trick. They're just the next, uh, you know, remember how uh, uh, virtual reality came and went and no, nobody talks about it? <laughs> it's people that say it's that. Um, I don't know. I, I think that I think they're more meaningful than that. What, what, is, what do you think right now? Where are we heading with artificial intelligence? Uh, and how do you think the next 10 years are going to look with these um, these programs in place and being adopted? Well, I know I know right now half of my Instagram feed, uh, half of my Facebook reels are AI based. You know, here's how to use AI to do X, Y, Z, whatever. I can make a picture of myself that talks through things, and apparently I can set up AI to establish more AI and start a business and make millions of dollars. Yeah. So I don't don't know where where the line draws, but uh, and I'm definitely not 
an expert on this stuff at this point, but where I've used it, I mean, admittedly, where, where I think it's useful for me, as most anybody, I mean, I, the, the joke is when you start a podcast, the only two people that listen are your mom and your sister, right? And the, the truth is your sister's really lying to you and she doesn't actually <laughs> listen, so it's really just your mom. That's... So the uh, for, for anybody that's listening to this podcast knows that, uh, that Which I includes talk my a lot. sister. <laughs> knows that I, I talk a lot. So point, uh, po- point being for me, where I think it's useful is, is in helping consolidate my, my thoughts. So, so far, you know, where I've been able to, to use it is to, to put in a lot of information, uh, things that I'm thinking about and, and things that I want to organize. And, and I've asked it to, to organize and, and present that information in a way that's, uh, that, that, that's, that's logical. So, I, not to say I couldn't do that if I spent the time doing it. Uh, it's just to say that it's not my nature to, you know, throw out a bulleted list. And so I have an easier time, um, you know, I don't want to use the term rambling, but, uh, but, but p- putting context into a system and, and asking it to, to organize and bullet out that, that, that content for me. Um, so to me, and, you know, again, I, I, I'm not maybe the best person to ask about this, where I, where I think it becomes useful is a, in a partnership mm-hmm. with, you know, my conscious brain and its ability to enhance and amplify, you know, what I'm doing. Where, what I don't think it is, I mean, for me as an advisor and you think about um, this podcast, for example, I mean, I'm not reading off of a script that was created, nor, nor should I read off of a script that was created by AI. You know, I, I, I don't think AI should write my blogs. Um, I, I think there's a, an, a level of authenticity that you lose uh, when, you, when you have that. And I, I think that what people are looking for in an advisor, you know, is, is really a, a connection they feel is authentic, genuine, and somebody that, that – that actually cares about them. I think people look for that in all the relationships, not sure. just one with their advisor. So, so back to that. So just off of that point, I, I don't know that AI is forever going to be the creator of the content or, you know, maybe I'm just small minded, but where I, where I think it's really good is, is in helping, you know, somebody that would have otherwise done something do it more effectively, get there faster, organize it better, you know? So, so you're kind of along my, th- my thinking here where what these systems do, these large language models do best is they optimize uh, information sorting. Um, so, you know, I don't think that they excel at uh, creative endeavors. Um, they, they pull from information that exists already in fact uh the, the lar- chat gpt for example it's a language library or it's a library of information i forget how far yeah, do back you, do you do you have a, a good i mean can you explain a bit about how these systems really work no uh that i'm gonna leave that to people much smarter than myself uh i i don't have a, a coding bone in my body the, but what i've read and the way i understand they work is that they pull from uh, a set of data that has been fed to them. So it's not like they're sweeping the internet for current information, which is something people kind of think they're doing right now, which 
the way I understand it, that's not what they're doing. Although they could do that, uh, there's nothing stopping somebody from creating a an AI system that that basically uh, scans the internet live uh, or in real time and uh, turns out um, information or responses based on uh, what's currently being provided on the internet. But I think what these are doing is they're, they're essentially taking a set of data like Wikipedia. Let's say this is basically download all the all the text in Wikipedia into this uh, artificial intelligence system. And then this algorithm then, you know, digests all the information in Wikipedia and spits out response. I'm not saying Wikipedia is the set of data being used, but uh, I don't even know what the set of data, but that's how it works. And it's, it only goes back to 2021 in the case of chat GPT-4. So if you ask chat uh, GPT-4 right now, um, what is the current state of oil, oil markets? It'll, it won't be able to answer that because it doesn't have current data on you know what oil markets are doing. Um, so anyway, but this is as, as we know that you know th- this is still kind of in beta. Uh, so I imagine uh, as these things uh, become more prolific, uh, there will be a race to uh, optimize uh, these systems to provide current data. Um, but how how they'll be used is more to help organize information. And I think in my recent uh, uh, newsletter, I wrote about this. It's actually coming out tomorrow. But in the recent newsletter that I wrote, um, I I believe they they will be disruptive to the jobs market, Uh, just like Ford Motor Company was disruptive to the jobs market. The stagecoach industry, a lot of people don't realize this, uh, was none too happy with Henry Ford and his uh, innovative uh, assembly line. You know, they, they thought that they're going to put them all out of business. Well, they did. <laughs> he certainly did put most stagecoaches out of business. But look at the industry that uh, that spawned out of the automotive industry. You know, let's talk about the oil industry and then all the all the industry that stems from that, you know, to the to the very computers we're talking on right now wouldn't exist if it were not for the oil industry because they're made out of these, you know, plastics, uh, which is derived from oil. Don't ask me. I'm I'm not a chemist. Now you were a chemist uh, in school, so maybe you can. In our uh, title of the podcast, I guess it, as you corrected me, money, alchemy, and chemistry are not the same. Which <laughs> so I got to be careful about that. But the reason we chose the name of the podcast, which is the Money Alchemist, is because you have a chemistry background. But the two aren't necessarily the same. Anyway, I'm off on a tangent here. The point I'm making is, um, uh, you know. It, all innovation in some way, shape, or form is disruptive, but we have a tendency to look at only the destructive component of the disruption. Um, forest fires are disruptive, but if it weren't for forest fires, you you know, forests would be uh, wouldn't be as robust, as diverse as they are today. That's the, that's the way I understand it. So. Um, Boy, we could go deep down this rabbit hole. I, I, I'm going to stop there. I think you get the point I'm trying to make, and that is uh, these uh, large language models are going to eliminate jobs of people that can – basically any job that can, that can be done solely from a computer that, is, uh, that specializes in organization of data. So I think of like editors. Uh, I think of um, – you know, to some level, executive assistance. You know, th- think about that. 
you know, the way you're using chat GPT right now is exactly what an executive assistant would be used for. Like, Hey, these are my, these are the things I want to get done today. Yeah. Build me a roadmap. How do I do it? You know? So yeah, it's going to have an impact, but it's going to make people more efficient and it's going to eliminate those jobs. So you think those folks are just gonna be like, well, okay, the executive assistants and the editors of the world, you think they're gonna be like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to, you know, go, go hungry and starve. No, humans are amazing. What they do is then they figure out, you know what, what's something else I can do? And, and I think that's the big difference between humans and these AI systems is we have the ability to problem solve through creative processes. What's your thought on that? Oh, I, I definitely think, I mean, a, l- a little bit of a different tangent here, but I, I think that humans underestimate ourselves and our ability to handle mm-hmm. change and adversity. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think, you know, mindset is, is everything, right? Yeah. So to me, um, I'm a big believer that, you, you know, there's only one path forward. Time doesn't move backwards. So, so left to, you know, your own, if you, if you find yourself in a situation where there's no choice but to do something, you're going to find a way to do it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely agree that, 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 that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the folks that are displaced, just like the stage coaches in, you know, 1908 or whenever it was, the assembly line was uh, started. Um, look that up. 1908. <laughs> yeah, when, when did Henry Ford's uh, first assembly line go live? But just like there's very, very few stagecoach manufacturers today, um, there are countless auto mechanics. And, uh, well, they're not countless. There's a lot more than I want to count. Uh, there are, are many, many, many people who are in the oil industry, many, many people who are in the tire industry. I mean, th- th- and that's just one example. Think of how airplanes displaced um, the need for um, uh, train conductors. Sure. It's an interesting one. Well, let me, uh, I'll throw another one at you just to keep with the, you know, we are both financial advisors, so I, I, I guess we have a unique insight in that part of the world. So I, I you know, I've, I've worked in uh, different companies and there was a company that I worked at in the past where the, their portfolio manager came in to talk to us about their portfolio management mm-hmm. uh, processes and, and research and all of this. And one of the things that was discussed was that in the 1980s to do the work today, well, let me, let me phrase the question differently. How, how many people do you think they needed in 20, let's just say 2015, to do the equivalent amount of work of, let's say, 400 people in the 1980s? Well, it depends on the work that's being done. How what? many How many pe- portfolio management? Oh, portfolio management, okay. Uh, oof. Across, across retirement accounts and, and things like that. It's definitely less. I'd say 50% less. Eight people. Wow. Okay. So, so four, 400 people. And, you know, there's, you know, in the 1980s, 
think about what the computer has done for the ability to pull up, re, you know, have research and data and, uh, you know, execute trades. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, all of the things that create scale around portfolio management that we have today through, you know, our systems and th- things like that. I mean, certainly there's a lot of technology that's come together and it's maybe maybe one of the more disrupted industries. But I just I, I do think the hard part is that I, your argument my understanding is that for every job destroyed, there's a job created in some capacity. And I, I, I guess I'm not arguing, I'm not pretending to know what that ratio is, but mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm saying that it certainly seems like it faces an uphill battle to be equal. Well, let's think about this. Let's, let's do a thought experiment. What is one innovation that has happened in the past that did not, that actually had a net negative on, um, human productivity. Do you have one in mind or are you asking me? No, I, I uh, can't think of one. Well, you, you pointed it out earlier, the grocery store. Having the, having the, the, the self-scan at the grocery store. Um, Did that, know, so, so, an ATM is a, I mean, an ATM is a fantastic example. Think about how many bank tellers have been displaced by ATMs. Yeah, true. So, you know, let me think about this. Um, So the folks that were creating these, um, so the, these, these, um, the clerk, the grocery clerk was eliminated, which, you know, their, their machine was far less complex, but now you've got all the folks behind the machine who builds the software, who maintains the software, who stocks the cash. Uh, so you may have eliminated one grocery, grocery clerk, but it's not a, a, a complete one to zero net loss. Does that make sense? So it's not like you're just losing that one job and then there's nothing replacing sure. it. But let, there, there might be like a, I would not argue that we created as many jobs in the back end of those uh, self-checkout lines as we did eliminate clerks. It's probably something like, let's say 10, 20%. It'd be an interesting study. And like, so, where does this go for like self-driving cars? You think about, I mean- for years, we've talked about truckers being displaced by mm-hmm. auto, you know, self-driving trucks, and it seemed—I don't want to say high in the sky, but I mean, it doesn't seem like that's happening anytime soon. Um, could this start to? I mean, you—you you really look at the amount of people that do these kinds of jobs. You know, is it when we talk about the grocery store clerk, or we talk about the bank teller? Um, I don't don't know, but how many of you know how many how many jobs are we talking? I mean, how many total truckers and executive assistants and you know all of these things that could eventually eventually be displaced? Um, I it's going to be a lot um, over the next decade. There there are some hurdles though. Um, when do the robots start paying taxes? Never, <laughs> because. As long as they don't become self-aware, uh, which I think personally should should a company be taxed on the productive capacity of the robot that eliminates the jobs that would have well, they, been paying taxes? No, they will be taxed anyway. So, so what's going to happen is they're going to 
there are costs, their labor costs are going to go down. Profits go so up. So which profits will go up and those profits will be taxed. So I, I don't think there's anything special that needs to happen there. But let's, let's continue down this, uh, this, this uh, thought path here of, um, you know, w- what are the ramifications of all these jobs being lost? Because I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that just because we have all this AI that all of a sudden all these executive assistants are going to say, you know what, I'm just going to learn to code a better AI. And you know, none of that's going to happen. But what, what it will allow people to do is it's going to give them the freedom to pursue more creative endeavors. But ah, here, here is where we run into an issue. What is creativity? And how many people actually have the capacity for creativity? Because you think about true creativity, like uh, Beethoven, for example. What's his uh, most famous uh, symphony? Symphony Number no. Nine or something? I, anyway, I don't, I don't listen to Beethoven. I just know he was a musical genius. But but let's talk about Einstein, you know, and, and his how his mind worked and how he was creative. Uh, you know, he actually envisioned things in his mind before he penned them down mathematically and, uh, to prove them. Uh, so how many people actually possess uh, a, a true ability to create? I think about my own self and you know, from this, even from this conversation we're having today, a lot of it is derived from pre-existing content that I'm just regurgitating. I've digested it and I've filtered it through my own, uh, uh, my own meat brain. And now I'm, I'm preaching it to you all. Now, how much of it is actually original, authentic content? That would be tough for me to answer, but I would venture to say probably very little of it is. Um, so, you know, you can't ex- have this expectation that, you know, artificial intelligence is going to take all these mundane jobs and everybody's just going to become a painter, you know, <laughs> or everybody's going to become a musician. Uh, because the vast majority of people, I, I just don't think uh, they possess a ability to um, create on a level that is um, required to earn a living. Now, I think everybody has the capacity for creative thinking, um, but some people are just more creative than others. So there's always going to be a need for uh, people to fill those roles of those more mundane tasks. So uh, I don't know what the future is, but my based on history, my my feeling is that what will happen is as the costs of – as the as the cost for these executive assistants uh, and, and roles like that, and financial advisors too, by the way, you you and I are on, definitely on the chopping block. I think le- the legal profession's on the chopping block. I don't know why in the world legal Zoom would not fully adopt uh, Chat GPT. Maybe there's some like enhanced uh, uh, version of Chat GPT that can pass the bar <laughs> and 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 become a, a legitimate attorney. For people and and actually, what a godsend that would be, right? Uh, you know, how often do you want to have an attorney look over like an employment agreement or something small? But you're like, you know, I don't have the money to do that because it costs four or five thousand dollars, you know, to have 
have stuff looked at and, and to get that kind of legal advice. So, you know, I think that would be wonderful, but let's not pretend that's not going to compress the earnings of these fields. And uh, so what are they going to do? Well, you're going to see less people attracted to these fields, and it's going to give other labor markets the flexibility they need to grow. You know, I bet you anything, um, you know, while well, you just go around, look at all the services space, you know, all the, uh, the four hiring signs. So, you know, it will have a, uh, a deflationary effect on wages, though, you know. So is the artificial intelligent, artificially intelligent financial advisor always mm-hmm. is going to be programmed to always act in your best interest then? We've solved the problem. Well, yeah, I mean, I imagine that can be done, but it's still going to be subject to bias. I don't think it's possible to eliminate bias because who's programming this thing? For example, you've got a version of artificial intelligence, kind of a a dumbed down version of artificial intelligence managing these uh, robo advice platforms. You know, there's that's just rebalancing software. But it's still, but it's still a component. It's 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 not giving the giving you the the holistic advice, but it's giving you portfolio advice. And we, I think we can we can still uh, look to this as an example of how biases uh, will be found within these uh, uh, these financial advice systems that are bound to be created in the future. And one is is that most of them adhere to the modern portfolio theory, this idea that. You need to have all your assets diversified um, across multiple different asset classes. And as you age, you move to, to lower and lower and lower uh, beta investments, such as bonds. So risk, lower, lower risk as you get older. Yeah, right? that's what I mean. Well, more, more, more risk bonds is more here's cash. the thing. Like there's multiple forms of risk. And the way modern, the, modern portfolio theory emphasizes volatility risk above all risk. And, I, and I'm not so sure that that is the risk we should be paying the most close attention to because volatility can be good and bad. So so to pause there, to use mm-hmm. this as a maybe a learning moment for anybody that's listening and uh, might, might want some financial thoughts. When, when a financial planner thinks about risks, okay, there are five key risks to a retiree's financial plan or really anybody's financial plan. The first one is withdrawal rate, basically, you know, withdrawing too much as a percentage from your account. And you have inflation risk, okay, so the idea that your dollars lose value over time, and so you need to grow those dollars to be able to keep pace with the cost of goods. There's longevity risk. The easiest way of thinking about that is the risk of, if you live to be 120 years old, that takes a lot more money than if you live to be 90, than if you live to be 70. And then you've got market risk, which is actually the one we're, we're, that you're talking about. Volatility risk is Correct. market risk. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's uh, medical risk. So then you have the risk of, of you know, health care expenses, uh, you know, blowing up later in life. You know, you, you, you look at the concept of a retiree's spending and in, in financial planning, there is this concept called the retirement smile, which basically says that for a retiree, you spend the most money, or I don't want to say the most, but you spend a lot of money early on in your retirement. The, they call them the go-go years. And then you have a period of time 
where you spend less because you've stopped traveling as much. You want to be slowing down, but you don't have medical Mm -hmm. expenses that are blowing up. And then those are the slow-go years, and then you have medical expenses where you end up um, in your older age, expenses kick up because medical gets more expensive. And those expenses, when you think about the types of things that we help people plan for, um, if you end up, you know, lots of people end up needing care, you know, whether that be from a spouse, a family member, professional care, whatever. But, I mean, if you need assisted care, I'll just speak for Ohio. I think I saw a statistic the other day that, you know, it's something like $5,000, $6,000 a month for, you know, um, uh, not not skilled nursing care, but an assisted living facility. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's that, $70,000, $80,000 a year? Yep. uh, On top of the other spending that you have going going out the door. So which one of those risks do you emphasize? And well, you have to balance them. I mean every you, you you know stocks help you with the inflation risk, medical medical risk when you're when you're younger. Mm-hmm. You know bonds help with the market risk. Um, I, I mean I think the key is to make sure that you're looking at things comprehensive and balancing. See, see, see I I disagree with that. That's your opinion is you should balance the risks. Everybody listening to this podcast includes, uh, you know, your your mom and my sister, which is the only <laughs> two. But your mom and my sister are going to have different opinions on which risk is more meaningful to them. So therefore, the artificial intelligence system, I don't think will take that into account. They're going to use more of a boilerplate approach because I don't believe that these large language models have the capability of creative problem solving. So you and I can pivot. So when we're meeting with a client and that client there, there, I've got two, two clients here. You know, these are hypothetical clients. Um, one I meet with and they're just deathly afraid of running out of money because of long-term care, but they just, they can't get their mind off of it. It consumes them. And then I got the other client that's like, you know what? I'm going to spend the last dollar the, uh, the, on the day I die. In fact, my check to the underwriter is going to bounce. <laughs> you know, and, and their number one concern is, you know, maintaining their current standard of living. They could give two hoots about long-term care. You know, they're just going to rent a Corvette and drive it off a cliff on their 95th birthday. You know, <laughs> so, so w- which, which financial plan should we use the same financial plan for both those clients? What's your opinion? Well, I, I have, I, have uh, I guess, two thoughts. My first mm-hmm. thought is when I say balance, I, I, I guess I don't mean allocate the same emphasis to each yeah. for each plan. I, I, I guess what I mean by balance to, to define it is just recognize that they all exist. And as much as market risk is a risk, there are other relevant risks that are managed in a different way than how we reduce market risk. Yeah, so, so your your plan is going to be nuanced. And now I shouldn't, perhaps I'm ignorant about how these systems work because I just read an article in FA Magazine that talked about how ChatGPT learns who you are. Right. And, and, time, and may, yeah. maybe, maybe it can actually provide nuanced advice and I just, my brain is not so... I just I'm not connecting, and right now I'm struggling to see how it can do that without being creative. Because 
many of the problems that we solve in finance because fi- finance there's no it's not even a science it's an art um you know there, there's no economic facts like gravity you know gravity is a is a is a is a, is a fact I don't think anybody denies that gravity exists. Um, but we can easily deny certain uh, economic facts. You know, you've got wildly different theories from Marxism to uh, to, to um, Austrian economics, you know, which are in a lot of ways contradictory, but they're all trying to solve the same, you know, problem yeah. of, uh, human action. There's just a lot of variables. X plus Y doesn't equal Z. Yeah. So anyway, you you can meet with one financial planner, and they're going to tell you something I, different than another one. I think I think what what is going to be the hurdle, and this is going to be maybe broader than just financial planners, but the big hurdle is going to be the end of the day. Do you? If you talk, if you know you're talking to a computer, mm-hmm. and whether the computer is really smart and gives you the best advice, I, I don't know. But in the back of your mind, if you know you're talking to a computer, does does it hit the same way? Yeah, I believe it does. In fact, I think people will almost prefer it. Um, I joked about this in my newsletter that you know people will protest the idea of getting something so personal as financial advice from a computer and they'll complain about it but then they're they're going to go they're going to get in their tesla that drives them home and then they're going to turn on their tv with the netflix feed that is curated for them from a computer algorithm while they digest the news while cooking dinner that's curated for them through facebook algorithm you know while telling alexa okay time to go to bed can you set my alarm for this we we trust technology. In fact, uh, the younger generation almost prefers dealing with technology over human relations because it's you can't offend technology, and at least not yet. <laughs> um, so I have a meme about that in my newsletter. I keep plugging my newsletter. Sorry, guy. This is about the podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, I think that people will ultimately gravitate towards it. Uh, I'd be surprised. Now, there's going to be a segment of the population that just, they're very traditional. They got to deal with the human face. Uh, but I, I see a future where people almost prefer dealing with the computer because it's less embarrassing. There's less personal risk there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So anyway, we, uh, we got another topic I wanted to shift to, which kind of plays on this whole idea of uh, large language models. and So how are advisors going to leverage uh, artificial intelligence systems? Because uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe that all of a sudden people are just going to start preferring computer-driven advice. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole robo-advice thing was all the rage and what was it 2011 2012 when did betterment come out when did they launch it, it so i i started in 2013 yeah and for the first four years of my career all i heard about was our is the advisory you know i, I mean as a young advisor i'm sitting there thinking you know thinking, is this a am i am i gonna get phased out before i even you know 
take off. But yeah, it, so it had to be between 2012 and 2015. Yeah, it was it was all everybody was talking about. It was all the rage. All the big firms were afraid that all their clients were going to move over to these robo systems. I read an article today uh, that 17%, now it's a growing portion, but 17% of all market assets, the stock market in the U.S. is held in some form of index funds, which leads to me to believe that, because all these are index-driven uh, solutions, so which leads me to believe that the portion of the, the, the portion Are all robo-advisors indexed? There's not a there's not a robo advisor that I have yet to see one. Maybe I'm wrong, but they're all they all utilize uh, exchange traded funds, index funds that I've seen. You have, I mean, there's actively managed ETFs, smart beta ETFs. I mean, but you know, I get, I get, and I don't, I don't know offhand. I know most. I would assume most of them are. Well, you know, this is not a scientific measure. I'm just estimating. I'm using this as an way to estimate what portion of AUM in the in the total market is uh, actually managed by these robo-systems. It's a fraction, and a fraction of what they assumed it would be. So most people have not gravitated towards these systems. And I can attest to this because, you know, I, my, my whole business is attracting new clients and servicing existing ones and keeping them engaged and uh, happy with the services we provide. Over the last decade, I've only had one client transfer out to a robo-advisor form. And this client was one I inherited from an advisor that left the firm, so I didn't have a good relationship with them. So it wasn't even because of um, – it wasn't even because I did a bad job. It was just because, you know, the fella had – you know, he was tired of his, advi- his advisors rotating on him, so he just got jaded and moved on. I've never had another client move to uh, to these things, so it ended up being uh, a bunch of hype without um, uh, without any delivery. So, could this AI system be the same? I don't necessarily think so because I think that these systems now. Now, here's another point: these robo advice platforms, like Betterment, started out. You remember Betterment? Uh, they're still around. <laughs> they started out just delivering direct to consumer. But what happened? They started to spin their wheels in the mud. So what did they do? Who did they reach out to to grow their business? Registered investment advisors. So that's why their their number one asset way to gather assets is actually through reselling their service through firms like ours that have human advisors behind them. Right. So right. so I can see that happening. And, that, and that's how robo-advisors are growing today the ones that are doing the best are the ones that have leveraged both models you know they're they're, they're going direct to consumer but they're also teaming well, they're up with trying advisors. to make the advisors i mean kind of back to our point mm-hmm. with the ai is that it's not now the question of is a i mean again you know cynically i think rebalance you know robo advisor is basically rebalancing software yeah, for a portfolio that's all it is mm-hmm. it doesn't really do any of the things that a human does to to you know maintain a real real life client relationship that in the way that we we have with our clients so mm-hmm. i you know i do i do think ai has a bigger impact in that which i think i think you said but you know, I guess the question is, will it end up being something to enhance 
just like the robo advisor model because to your point i i there are a lot of firms nowadays that mm -hmm. use robo advice like platforms to scale their portfolio management mm -hmm. to serve more clients yeah um so when you think about how that might apply to ai and our ability to use ai to scale and grow more clients you know there are going to be all sort. I mean, I think there's going to be all sorts of different strategies that start out there, but it's definitely going to look different because we're again where where robo advice came in is it was the portfolio management piece. I mean, advisors and trading individual accounts. I mean, that was you know solving that was a was was very valuable for a lot of these advisory firms, but it only was one piece. In theory, the AI could do all of it. Theory, yeah. So, Absolutely. So, but does except it, for one thing that I'm gonna let you finish. So, does it become? I mean, I guess the bottom line: does it become a partner? And mm -hmm. and if it does, then r really how? And I I think that my you know basic use of it as a organizational you know as an executive assistant, as you say, is probably just scratching the surface. Um, and then eventually, could it could it phase us out? And then who's picking up the paycheck if it does? Well, in that case, it would be the consumer. But they're all. But none of them are going to have jobs, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah, I guess so here we are, full circle. Uh, so you know, I guess it's Elon Musk. You know, he's yeah, the only yeah. one has has income. Anyway. I, you know, that's kind of a. I, I'm joking, obviously. I think people are going to amaze us, and they're going to shift and create new markets where there currently are none. So it's, it's stuff that we can't even think of right now is going to happen. But it doesn't change the fact that you know we're, there are going to be implications for this uh, AI movement, and I think it has some legs. It's not just going to go... I don't think this is just another uh, virtual reality or robo-advice type of fad. I think it, it has some legs, and it's definitely going to... Uh, disrupt some industry here, ours included. Um, so how uh, advisors, I think, are going to team up with AI, though. I, I think what it's going to help us do is scale. So one issue that we have uh, in the industry is how do you open up the bottleneck? Because you've got, you, you've, you've essentially got one advisor it, you know in most cases like it, in our in our situation we have teams so that's how we approach the scaling we open up the bottle like a little bit by by having teams multiple ind individuals that all kind of think alike you know we call them teams and uh so if i'm unavailable you can get a hold of noah or if noah's unavailable you can get a hold of michelle or if michelle's unavailable you can get a hold of me hopefully so you know and, and you're going to get good service consistently from all of us but what ai can do is you know, let's say, you know, one of the problems that, that I see AI have is like, well, whose bias is put into this thing? You know, uh, is it modern portfolio theory? Is it this? You know, which flavor do you, of AI do you want? And that's why an advisor may choose, or a client, I'm sorry, may choose me over someone else or you over someone else uh, or vice versa, is that they're looking for a personality fit. So, what you can do is still have that, still have the human drive that emotional component of the relationship, which you know, which is also what drives that personality fit, and then have the have the AI based off of that personality. So we can essentially program the AI with our own biases 
uh, as financial advisors and what we believe. You know, do you believe Dave Ramsey or do you believe Susie Orman or are you more like a CFP kind of guy, you know, or gal? You know, what kind of practice are you running? Let the AI learn this and then that way it can deliver as, as a pair planner that type of information uh, to, through to your clients. And think of the throughput that that would then create and open up. Now, that would accelerate, and I think this is a good thing, by the way, that would accelerate the narrowing of the field that we have been seeing in the financial advice space. It used to be, you know, you would have, you know, uh, people that really had no business being in the in the stock market, selling stocks like salesmen. You remember Wolf of Wall Street, you know, yeah, kind of boiler stuff. Rooms. You know, you, yeah, you'd have boiler rooms. So you'd have people. Stock of the day. Correct. They, they were financially illiterate, but they were good on the phone at selling. Those folks, I don't see them very much. They still exist, but they're nowhere near as common as they were in the 90s. So you're seeing a narrowing of the field as only the, the best and the brightest are surviving and growing. The rest are kind of dying. And I think this accelerates that process. So I envision a future where our firm can embrace a, uh, an enhanced version of artificial inte- intelligence that can uh, help us amplify our voices. It won't replace them. It'll just help us amplify our voices. And maybe one day down the road it'll replace them, but hopefully by then, you know, we, we can move on to other industry or, you know, you and I will be retired and our, our kids will be trained in some other field that's more promising. I've decided I'm going to hire a bunch of AI advisors, and um, you know, by the time it takes over, I'm just the equity owner. Yeah. Well, what's the starting pay for the, the AI? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, you you do you but you do this thing, this notion that these things are going to be joking. free though is is not true because these things are all going to require. I heard uh, that to run Chat GPT, it requires That's an, interesting thought. an immense amount of power. I, I yeah. So Chat GPT is free to use today. How long do you think it lasts before you know you can hire you it. can hire the mm-hmm. pair planner AI, but it's thirty thousand dollars a year, which is you know maybe cheaper than a pair planner human would be. But you know, so so it may make sense. Who knows what the cost structure is going to be, but. It's got, it has to be less than the human equivalent or nobody's going to adopt it. So I, Unless it, it's better than the human equivalent. True. Uh, from so what I've seen, though, it's not. Cost versus value. Yeah. Right? From what I've seen so far, it's not. Uh, you, you have to – like we did this example uh, the other day, and I appreciate you doing that for me for the newsletter I sent out. Um, there I go again with another plug. Um, so you – I was surprised at how much input you had to provide the system. It, it was it was a little bit um, you had to babysit it a little bit more than I expected. So you know, like my 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 assistant is absolutely incredible, amazing. I give her general guidance. Like I but want she's gotten to know you. Even when she started, she had the capability of doing this, but she would not do it because she was she was trying to figure out, you know, where where you know how long. I, I don't like using that term. I'm not going to use it. Um, how um, lenient I am with her autonomy. So you know, she didn't want to. Um, she didn't want to assume a privilege where I didn't have when I, where I didn't didn't really authorize it. I, I actually embrace people who are 
uh, self-starters and go-getters. So she knows now that, like, hey, take it and run it, you know. If, if, you, if you overdo the job and make me look bad, that's phenomenal. In fact, that's preferred. <laughs> so the more you do, the better. Uh, not all of managers are that way. Actually, I've, I've found is, you know, some managers want their people underneath them to make the, the, the sole purpose that they're there is to make them look, you know, brilliant. So they want them to be incompetent, which is ridiculous to me. But that's some people truly think that way, uh, you know, which is to me counterproductive. But in the, in the case of AI, as it is today, you 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 have to really be specific on what you want. Um, almost like uh, I'm teaching a five year old how to how to write letters. You ha- it's very intentional. It can't be um, uh, it, it it can't be um, general. You, I can't just you have to catch it up. With all the background. Yes. You have so, to give it the specific, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to do it. Here's who I want you to do it for. Here's what I want included. Here's what I don't want included. Yeah. So, for example, like I'm talking to my five-year-old son, and I say, I want you to write the letter A. I can't just explain to him, like, yeah, all you got to do is just, you know, take take two, uh, par- you know, uh, two lines uh, that are kind of crooked, and then you just draw a line that connects them in between. That That's... That's too, that's too general. Like he doesn't know what to do. So, you know, whereas I could do that with, you know, uh, well, I don't know. Uh, maybe that's a bad analogy. In, in any case, yeah. look, I think we've been, we've been talking for a while and, and, and I think we've covered the bases. The bo- bottom line is, you know, more so than some of the technological changes that we've seen. Recently. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it is clear when you use this stuff that there is a use case for what it does the the inherent question is how far can it go how dangerous is that i suppose we'll we'll find out but you know for us uh at least at this point you know it's it's really just something that we want to make sure that we're not lagging behind we want to stay 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 at the forefront because it really i mean as you said the field is going to narrow and whether you do it or you don't, you know, so, somebody somebody is going to do it. We're going to have to get more than two listeners, Brent, because it could be that podcasting is our only means to generate income for our families in the future. Well, <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully we keep the good content coming out. Yeah, this has been a, a good conversation. I really appreciate um, your time and your thoughts on this. Uh, we'll, we'll have to have a follow-up episode maybe in a year just to see where things have gone. Because um, it's going to be exciting, both bad and, in a bad way and a good way. Uh, well, thank you for uh, listening in on the Money Alchemist podcast, and uh, we look forward to catching catching you next time. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through National Wealth Management Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor and a separate entity from LPL Financial, LLC. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.
Economic forecasts set forth may not develop as predicted, and there can be no guarantee that strategies promoted will be successful. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. There is no assurance that the techniques and strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. The purchase of certain securities may be required to affect some of the strategies. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.